Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're bringing you my conversation with Michelle McBain, Managing Director of Stand Up Ventures in Toronto, Canada. In this episode, we're going to dive into the origin of Stand Up Ventures, which was formed to address the issue that without many female founders around, there's a belief that you can't be what you can't see. We're also going to talk about what makes the Toronto and Canadian ecosystems different and unique in terms of the economic benefits with R&D tax credits and the growing density of talent and engagement among corporations and universities. Michelle McBain is passionate about working with amazing technology entrepreneurs. As the managing director of Stand Up Ventures, she leads investments in early stage technology companies led or co-led by women founders. Michelle is a skilled business professional with over 25 years of combined operational and venture capital experience. Her background includes 20 years of venture capital investing, as well as sales and marketing roles in both engineering and scientific industries. Notable investments include Maple, Figure One, Sampler, Nudge Rewards, Tealbook, Bridget, Coconut Software, and Profound Medical. Prior to stand up, Michelle was a venture investor with Mars IAF, VG Partners, and Prime Access Technology Ventures. She is active in the technology community and volunteers with several organizations in the community, including the Biomedical Zone at Ryerson and a volunteer with the Next 36, Techstars, and CIX, as well as an instructor in the Entrepreneurship Department at Ryerson University. Please enjoy my conversation with Michelle McBain. I am excited today to be joined by Michelle McBain. We're on a board together of Teal Book in Toronto, which was has been a great opportunity to learn to get to, and, and to get to know Michelle. Uh, Michelle's a, a senior investment director at the Mars Investment Accelerator Fund and managing director of Stand Up Ventures, where she leads early stage investing in health and technology companies. And Michelle is on the board or observer of a number of different companies. And you also got your your chemical engineering degree from the University of Ottawa and then an MBA from McMaster. So it's it's been a great privilege to get to know you. Always love to start from the start, which is, you know, what drove you to get into early stage tech investing? Yeah, and that's a great story. So I have to be honest, I fell into it. And, um, you know, sometimes you put, what you're looking for out in the universe and it comes at you in, in a different form. So, so I was actually working for uh, DuPont for years, you know, all the different business units. If I've learned anything in my career and in my life is to always work for really great people. And so I managed, I managed uh, to always have amazing uh, leaders, managers who, you know, taught me by example, but also uh, would, would really think about, development of their team and of their staff. So, so it's part of some kind of HR process. DuPont always had some great systems and processes in place. We went through uh, an exercise where you uh, would say, this is what's next for me. This is the type of work I want to do. And my manager would do the same. And what I didn't realize I described through the process was entrepreneurship. You know, I was in a large company, I am not a specialist. I'm more of a generalist. Um, I like seeing the whole picture versus going really deep down one area. And uh, and I said, you know, basically, I want to be in a smaller business unit where if um, we do something over here on the left-hand side, we know in a really timely way, without spending a ton of money and being in a lot of meetings, whether or not it worked. 
and then you can course correct. And so at the same time, due to the stage fund that was um, launched by Royal Bank of Canada called Prime Access Technology Mentors, it was a deep tech sort of fund back in the day. Um, so this was in 2000. And at that time, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. I didn't know what a secondment was. And I didn't know what venture capital was. But there was an opportunity to be seconded to uh, this fund and work with this amazing, magical team that was working in uh, in the area of really taking, at the time, technologies coming out of the University of Toronto putting teams around them and commercializing them. So I was supposed to go for six months. I ended up staying for two years. The intent was that, you know, I would bring the ways of Star Wall Street back to, um, back to DuPont, but I could never go back. Once, once you, you've kind of experienced that, it's really tough to go back to a large organization. So um, at the same time, too, uh, DuPont was publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange, but it's when they they went through a bit of a reorg, so parts to the Koch brothers and all of that. So so the funding we had on the balance sheet to do a lot of things in the uh, in the innovation area, things like investing in new companies or licensing or all of that kind of went away when they privatized as well. And so... Um, so a fund I worked with that invested in one of our portfolio companies, Series A funds, said, hey, we really liked working with you. We're a healthcare fund. Come and join us. So, so that was the next five years of my life where I did a fair bit of life science investing and more Series A and B investing as well. But I think my true love is very much seed. Um, it's working at the early stage, working when things are uncertain, really betting on the team and the talent who are putting everything out there to, to bring their idea to life. Um, and so took a couple years off with my son. And then in 2010, I joined um, the Mars Incubator in downtown Toronto, which I'm happy to chat about a bit more. And they had a seed stage fund that they were working with. So I joined this amazing leader again. His name's Barry Jacare. Along with the team, we kind of built that into an evergreen fund that's had top quartile returns um, at the seed stage. And I give you the whole story here. And then four years ago, we were approached by an LP who said, we love your platform. Uh, we love that you've been investing uh, without thinking about it in female-led ventures. 12% of the portfolio was in female-led or co-led ventures. Um, part of that's because there was women around the table. Here's a commitment from us. Go do some deals. And then um, go raise some more money. So, so we spun that out. It's a private fund uh, called Stand Up Ventures. I called it Stand Up after the little girl standing up to the bull on Wall Street. She's everything you want to see in a founder. She's confident. She's courageous. She's curious. And Teal Book was our very first investment out of that fund. Great. I didn't know that. I didn't know that story yeah. behind the name. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'd love to. I want to get back to the ecosystem in a little bit. But first, I mean, the first thing point you made about DuPont and working for great people, I'm connecting to what, what kind of patterns or, or criteria do you use to assess these founders at this very early stage? And how do you know when you have somebody who kind of is, is there versus one who's still in development? Yeah. So we, particularly because often we're investing in, in, uh, in female-led or co-led ventures, Often um, this cohort are first time founders. Um, and so they haven't always seen the movie before. And, and, and that's great in some ways, and of course, challenging in other ways, right? So 
what we look for quite often, I would say most of the investments we've made have been founders who are solving a problem they know really well. They're not going out there necessarily to, to, to get totally rich, which is why a lot of people, they'll go find an idea, find a problem and build a company around it. And that's certainly one approach that's, you know, worked very well in many areas, but, but the type of founder we invest in is, is very much a founder who's lived and breathed the problem. Stephanie's perfect example of that, right? She, she ran a services business effectively um, doing of some of what she's doing and, and was like, how do I productize this? How do I, you know, how do I make procurement and the data around it uh, accessible and scalable and trusted? Um, and I would say, uh, I think all of our portfolio, the founder has that fundamental insight. So that's the first thing we look for. The other thing we look for is, I'm going to say a collaborative spirit because to me, the key role the CEO has and the founders have is to get people to join the ride. And at the seed stage, there's no data. There's no information. There's no customers half the time. There's no traction. And so do these people have that ability to go out and recruit people in a competitive talent marketplace uh, to join them and to build something really great? And so, you know, you test that just by conversations, you test that by seeing who they have recruited to date, have they been able to hire some really great people that you're kind of like, wow, how they get that person. You test that in a number of different ways because, you know, these companies are only as good as the people that they hire as well and, and the culture that they build. So we test for that. I think about it a lot in COVID and how do you assess that little um, je ne sais quoi, right? When you're not in their office kind of feeling the vibe. I haven't cracked the code on that yet. I'm about to do my first deal that's fully virtual and, and most of our funnelists has been deals with folks that, that, that we've met you know, over the past six months, nine months before COVID. But now I'm starting to dig into things or get to know them. So, so you know, always something new. And full circle, back to venture. You're always learning. It's always something new. Days never the same. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I always say I work in venture because it keeps me young. Mm -hmm. you, just, you feel like you're living in the future yeah, and that you're just, you know, innocent and sort of looking at everything uh, as yeah. new. Well, many people may know something about the Toronto market. It's, it's been, I don't even want to say up and coming. It's been a strong market for a while, but I think it's just getting better and better as it a is. strong ecosystem. So can you give us a little overview of what you've seen in terms of the progression of it and how then, you know, Mars and stand-up fits in within that? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, 2010, I call them the dark days of VCs. I don't think there were, there were many funds left <laughs> who were still alive, who'd fundraised and who were successful. The, the, a lot of the LPs had stepped away from the asset class back in that period. From an LP perspective too, and I don't know if many people realize this, but some of the world's biggest LPs are actually Canadian. So folks like teachers, OMERS, uh, CPP, um, and it's because it's such a public system. So these funds actually um, have to get 50, 100, 200 million dollars out. And they also have the ability to invest in, in many of the tier one global funds. Um, and so they're not always investing in their backyard, full circle to that, um, because they do have to write a fairly big check. That's actually changing, um, and many are, are starting to commit back to the ecosystem. But back in 2010, that wasn't the case. And so 
folks were pretty scrappy. There was some some government support, some programs to kickstart stuff, and that started up a number of new franchises. And the reason there was such passion for the ecosystem, and I'll talk more broadly even about Toronto, Waterloo, Ottawa, um, which we call the corridor, and also Montreal. I have a few investments there. Some really great anchor universities and hospitals and research institutions. And I think that is globally recognized. You know, if you look at U of T, it ranks always in one of the top 20 institutions in the world. Some really great IP coming out of there. A number of companies started uh, being built. So Shopify is, of course, the big story where you're starting to get that kind of uh, second, third, fourth time founder coming and doing a deal again and reinvesting in the ecosystem. So when I think of a healthy ecosystem, you know, there's that early money, people build some great companies, the talent's growing in those companies, there's an exit and, and, you know, you come full circle and people come back and start a company again. The funds have made money so they can raise a second fund. Founders are coming back as angels investors. So that's when you start really seeing, you know, the pieces of a sustainable ecosystem and having the base of companies and universities, hospitals, research hospitals, and the government support. The R&D credit is is very important, particularly at the early stage, particularly uh, in healthcare as well. If if you're going to if you're not going to have revenue in the early days and you're doing some pretty pretty extensive research, you can actually get thirty five dollars uh, back on hundred dollars, so thirty five cents on the dollar back as a refund, like not a credit per se. You're actually getting that cash back, and so that's pretty impactful in the early days and the seed stage days of the company. You actually don't hear companies talk about that as much anymore. So it's interesting you brought that up because it's huge and it's valuable. But back in the day, I remember companies were almost relying on that. And now it's an important part, but it's not necessarily the reason they do it. There's also a couple of crowns and corporations who um, who do a fair bit to support. So of course, we're co-investors with BDC, uh, Business Development Bank of Canada, and they're a pretty active fund across sectors. Um, they're also uh, an LP in our fund. And then uh, Export Development Canada, EDC, is also pretty active. So, so it's a combination of, of some pretty strong government support, but also the private capital following. So when did Mars start? Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit of that origin story. Yeah, Mars is uh, was founded by a gentleman named Dr. Don Evans. John Evans, sorry. He um, his vision was to recreate something like Kendall Square that you see in Boston. So a place. So real estate is a big part of it where you would have natural collisions between the universities, the um, hospitals were were located right on University Avenue where UT is and many of the teaching hospitals, the corporate partners, uh, the entrepreneurs and the VCs all in one building. And it's one of the best entrepreneur buildings I've been in. Yeah. And it's a beautiful space. I'm I'm missing going there and I'm missing uh, bumping into people at the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Like so much, so much happened there just in those conversations when you'd see someone, you'd go sit down, you'd have that chat. It's it, it's really, really powerful. And so the building has a lot of roots in, in science as well. It's where insulin was discovered. Uh, Bantine and Best had their labs there. And the actual building is the Toronto General Hospital. And so back in 2000, it was supposed to be knocked down uh, and, you know, sold for condos and 
who knows what else there. And so Dr. Evans brought together 14 founders, some, some family offices, foundations, and corporate partners who, who purchased the land and, uh, and that allowed them to build what they're building. So there's now three towers, folks in there that you know, G-Labs is there. So Johnson & Johnson's Innovation Arm. Autodesk is there, PayPal, Facebook, uh, but also many of our startups, a whole bunch of support for ventures at the early stage uh, and some programming around that. The, uh, and how many, how many startups have now been kind of through that program? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I can speak more for the Investment Accelerator Fund. We've made over 150 investments at the seed stage in Ontario-based companies. Thousands of companies have had some kind of touch point through Mars, through the various programming that's in place. And then, as I say, the tenants are, are large. The other thing we have, too, is fairly um, extensive wet lab space. So kind of that, that incubation space that you need at the early stage in, in, in biotech and drug discovery um, that you can't necessarily afford to have at scale is there. And you're also able to tap in and be close to the university partners, to the hospital partners that you're working with. So how did, how did, so you were active in Mars and with the Accelerator Fund. Mm-hmm. And then what triggered, what was the catalyst behind Stand Up? So I, it's something I had been uh, consciously focusing on. And, you know, we were a diverse team at Stand Up. Stand Up, you know, it's called an accelerator. It's a seed stage one. It's a cohort that of uh, founders that I've just been actively working with, mm-hmm. uh, developing relationships. And as you know, that just feeds on itself. You know, call, call it my thesis. You're, you're just going to start getting deal flow uh, that looks and feels a certain way. And um, we all, I think, worked really, really well together. There was a level of trust that was just there from, from the get-go. Steph would say, you know, Michelle had my back and call that what it is, but there's, there's a comfort level and a trust that can happen pretty quickly. And, you know, I would go all out for these founders and they go all out for us. So it just started feeding on itself. Again, there weren't many female founders four or five years ago even. And and so there's a fundamental belief that you can't be what you can't see. And so what we wanted to do was also create a fund that first demonstrated that you can get venture rates of return or better under this thesis, change the makeup of the company early on if you have a diverse team at the leadership level. So, you know, like hires like, especially at the seed stage. And so if you if you're all one demographic, you're going to hire, you know, your friends who all look and feel like you. So if you have a different type of balance early in the days, and then we're just going through our, our reports now, and, and that's proven to be true, particularly when it's a female CEO. We invest uh, in ventures uh, as long as there's a, a woman at the C-suite who owns as much equity as the other co-founders. Um, that checks our box because we also want to make sure that women are participating in the wealth creation um, that's happening in this innovation ecosystem. And I know Carter did a study a year or two ago, said that I think less than 10% of persons on the cap table, so that includes angel investor, venture partners, and founders, were women. And so, you know, that that means that there's a lot of people not getting and generating and benefiting from the wealth that you're you're creating in high growth ventures. So that was one part. And 
we had some success. So, so it's been great. Folks, folks really believed what we're doing. I think we're still in the first to second inning, honestly, to use a, a baseball analogy. You know, we just published a blog post uh, with the data from the Women in VC Slack group that I'm happy to share. And, and it's still early days. And a lot of women are starting their own funds, be it uh, operators who are raising micro funds or partners who are spinning out of some of the larger funds and raising their own funds. And so they're starting to see a success as well. And it doesn't mean that they have the same gendered lens that we specifically do, but, but there's some pretty strong data that shows that if you, that, 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 you know, you'll probably get more female founders funded uh, if there are more women in BC. Hmm. Yeah, uh, the um, I'm familiar with a number of them that I had interacted with in the past, women-led venture funds. And um, uh, it, it definitely seems like there could be a lot more learning to happen between them. Yes, and that's happening too. Well, I'll tell you, I was at All Raise last week, virtually. Yep. So first of all, it was one of the best virtual, con- I think it was one of the best conferences I ever attended, I have to be honest, let alone being virtual. So they, they did so many things right. And they're definitely creating a cohort and a group of, of, uh, of women at all stages in their venture career and all levels, just supporting each other. It's happening in a way that didn't happen before. The networking using some of these platforms has been outstanding. Um, so right. it's, it's fascinating to me. I think, I think conferences are going to change fundamentally, even when COVID's over. And my view is that it should be sort of a hybrid thing where you use these platforms to get those amazing connections initially. And then you go to the room at the conference center and you make a point of meeting in person. Yeah, that's a but great we'll point. Because oftentimes you go, to the, when you go to the conferences, especially if they're big and spread out, it's just a mm-hmm. logistics problem, right? You can't exactly go to this one and that one and the apps online, you can do that and... quickly and then decide, oh, I want to deep dive with a specific exactly. group or something. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So what, what do you think, as, as we think of the kind of turning more towards the future now in terms of uh, the future of your, your ecosystem, Mm-hmm. as well as your focus for your fund for stand-up mm-hmm. and yep. women in venture. Can you, I, I love the quote you gave, you know, you, you can't be what you can't see. So highlighted that for sure. So t- tell me what you see in the next 10 years. Yeah, great question. So I was just chatting with someone about this before. So so one of the portfolio companies um, out of IAF, the founder, uh, his company was acquired by a large public company. So, you know, he's going there for two years. And I'm like, so what are you going to do next? I'm like, going to learn for two years, you know, young guy, he's going to learn a lot from, from, from the CEO of, of that organization. Um, but you know, he's coming back again to do something. And he's like, he picked one, one founder in our portfolio in particular. It's like, she and I are going to do something. I'm like, all right, well, I'll write you a check. And so I'm, you're going to see these teams coming together much more consistently, second, third time founders. You know, I even see one of one of our portfolio companies who developed a second product. The first product didn't have a sort of a recurring revenue model. The second one does. They just pop it in into their sales team. And like, you know, they go like this. You learn so much the first time. So I'm excited to see that that sort of muscle memory kind of really coming at it uh, and, and people doing their next big thing. I think, I think, 
so many of them can't wait to to go back and and do something again and launch it again. So I think we're just going to see more and more sustainability. I think what's um, the other, I didn't talk a lot about Waterloo, but, you know, we invest a fair bit there as well. University of Waterloo is there, really well recognized. Um, Y Combinator probably usually has a quarter of their cohort coming out of founders who who went there. Uh, highly regarded engineering programs. So, so you're seeing those ecosystems maturing. I see a lot of hope in Montreal. I think there's some amazing talent there and there's really diverse talent. So people from all over the world, one of the companies I've invested in, uh, one, one of the founders is from, from, from an African country and the other founders from France. So, so you're seeing that whole diverse piece all coming together. And those folks, again, can recruit anyone they want to recruit because they're building these really sustainable technologies. We're seeing that in Tilbrook. Like she's punching well above her weight and the folks that she can recruit because people want to be there. They want to be part of that culture. And um, again, back to, you know, they see someone like them on the website in a leadership role. And so they feel that it's probably a more balanced organization that's going to serve them better. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And uh, again, there's still the numbers, the data shows there's been some progression, but but we're still not a critical mass. So we're going to keep chugging away. But, you know, part of the portfolio's goal is to have some really great stories. Uh, back to the little girl standing up to the bull, having the role models. Um, and so I met these two amazing young founders, like straight out of university yesterday. And I'm able to make these connections to them, uh, for them, to, to the founders that I know. Um, and that's just going to feed itself. I think that's, that's what has to happen. Yeah, that's uh, super important uh, for all of us, but especially when you're young, mm-hmm. to get connected to mm-hmm. somebody who you could look up to who's done it already and to see, yeah. wow, they're human. Yep. I think I, I see that a lot. Yes. I think with entrepreneurs in the Midwest, because they read about Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who might be on a cover of Fast Company or whatever, and they don't realize that it, it, it almost kind of makes them into superheroes and and fictional characters and real people. The, so what's unique about the, you know, that your ecosystem, Toronto ecosystem, what, what other advantages would you say entrepreneurs or startups have because their roots are from? So in the way Silicon Valley has, you know, you see the picture of the show Silicon Valley and all the, all the tech companies are all really close by. We all, we have corporate Canada in Toronto and they have been a big part of uh, the innovation economy. And, and, you know, you'll see, you'll see corporations coming in out of innovation programs. They've been pretty steady at that. And, and so that includes funding, but it includes being a first customer which is super important. And it includes talent who could be, you know, more senior talent or board members or advisors who, you know, really come around a company, an opportunity, a founder to really help them go to that next level. So, so that's been pretty interesting to see. The talent pool is really growing. You know, you'll see, um, some of our startups are starting to have to compete pretty regularly with, with Amazon and Google from, from, from a war for talent perspective. And so that just demonstrates that, that the talent is there. It's strong. Where I'd say most folks would say we're a bit weaker is on that true scaling stage, you know, B, C, D kind of thing and finding that sales talent. Um, that's sort of where the gap is. So, so I would say we don't have a ton of large scale-ups yet. 
Shopify is, of course, the, the big success story. There's a number of companies who've raised $100, $200 million. And so, so you know, they're well on their way. Um, but we don't have a ton of the other pieces. That's just going to generate more and more and more of the ecosystem. But when I look, you know, you asked me what it was like 10 years ago. You go to an event and there was 100 people there. And I knew everyone. And now I go to events and there are a thousand people events and I'm, you know, older than I used to be. And, and, uh, and they're all getting younger and, uh, and uh, I don't know them all, but there's still that whole excitement about building something special. Well, I look forward to coming up for the next big yeah. in-person event uh, that uh, in the summer would be even better. Mm-hmm. Uh Thank you so much for sharing, Michelle. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, we'll make sure it's in the show notes. But any other, I'd highly recommend any other ecosystem and other regions in the country, if you want to learn about what's happening in Toronto and uh, with Mars and with with Michelle's fund uh, stand up, you know, I'd encourage you to reach out because there's a, a lot to learn from what you've done there. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Mackie Craven, partner at OpenView.